Welcome, friends. This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and you are tuned into the Asia-Pacific Perspective, that monthly series whereby myself and Brock West of APPerspective.net go over all of the latest news and information coming out of the Asia-Pacific region that is being kept track of on a regular daily basis at APPerspective.net. I hope people are checking into that for the latest news and headlines that are coming out from the AP region. Brock, always great to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. What's on the plate for this month? James, as always, the pleasure is all mine. And yeah, we are a little bit overdue for, a, for our monthly uh, AP perspective. So it's definitely great to be back with you. Um, for our first segment, James, we're going to cover uh, Asia-Pacific protests. There's been quite a few uh, protests that have been going on. Obviously, we've got Thailand and everything. But uh, recently, uh, here in Australia, we've just had the uh, nationwide march-in-march demonstrations against the policies of our puppet-in-chief, Tony Abbott, and his uh, administration. Um, however, the week before the protest took place, the southern state of Victoria, uh, the parliament there, were very busy passing through a law that will have some potentially serious ramifications as we move closer towards the G20 here in November. Um, and we'll take this story from conspiracyoz.com. Protesters who participated in last week's March in March in Melbourne could have, could have protested their final cause. Last week, a new law was passed in the Victorian state parliament colloquially dubbed the anti-protest law by its opposers. Despite a demonstration by unionists protecting the anti-protest law, it was passed in the upper house of the Victorian Parliament on Tuesday, March 11. The decision was met with outrage from the public gallery. Protesters stormed the state parliament to express their opposition to the new law. Up to 20 protesters entered the public gallery shortly after 8 p.m. and began chanting and yelling at the members of parliament. Police were called in to remove the demonstrators who were forcibly escorted from the building. The amended Summary Offences Act, or anti-protest law, will give police greater powers to take action against protesters who are blocking access to buildings, obstructing people in traffic, or who could turn violent. The new law also specifies a police move-on order. The change will also enable courts to issue exclusion orders preventing troublemakers from entering a particular public space for up to 12 months. Uh, some of the members of the, public, of the public chaos chose to share their reaction to the new law on social media. Uh, this law passed just days before the March and March protest in Melbourne, which was part of a larger national event. And uh, James, before I get your response to that, uh, elsewhere throughout the region, we've seen uh, quite a handful of forceful demonstrations uh, in Taiwan over a very unpopular trade pact with China, um, with protesters there also storming government buildings. Um, over in your backyard in Japan, we've seen large-scale protests against the Japanese government's move to push forward the restart of Japan's uh, idle nuclear reactors and even some TEPCO employees making a stand uh, against the uh, company's running of the ongoing Fukushima situation. And also finally, in somewhat of a positive note, I guess, uh, the state of emergency has been lifted in Thailand after it was implemented by the, uh, re the Thaksin regime there two months ago. So, James, take your pick. Wherever you look in the Asia-Pacific, there are signs that people are at least angry, concerned and uh, fed up with the actions of their misleaders. It is interesting to see that that uh, meme sort of spreading across the region, and uh, we'll definitely have to keep our eye on the various uh, protest movements that are popping up. But on the Australian story specifically, this is specifically in the uh, in the Victorian Parliament. So this is only the state of Victoria that's being affected by this. That's correct. At this stage, yes. At this stage. But as I'm sure that a lot of the people out there will know by now, the uh, upcoming G20 is going to be held in Brisbane in Queensland State, which is uh, not too far away, and which, at any rate, we know they're already starting to make their uh, preparations for the, uh, for the protests, the inevitable protests at the G20 in Brisbane. Any comment on how that might play into this? 
Well, I'm sure the, uh, the parliamentarians here in Queensland will be licking their lips and uh, eagerly awaiting to see how this pans out. I mean, it's a very uh, convenient trump card for the, uh, the powers that shouldn't be here in Queensland to have up their sleeve uh, when the inevitable protests do happen uh, in Brisbane later in the year. Um, so that's definitely something to keep an eye on. And also there has been quite a few developments, not so much recently, but over the last few months in terms of G20, where people uh, who live within the exclusion zone of Brisbane CBD will not be allowed to uh, leave their homes while the political leaders of the world are on the move. Um, and also there was rumblings of people not being allowed to wear black, uh, black clothes and everything like this is obviously uh, in response to the black bloc uh, protesters that took place in Toronto and Pittsburgh, etc., which of course we know were more likely than not some type of agent provocateur or the like. So yeah, very interesting and also very worrying times. So uh, I hope people are keeping the G20 and the upcoming developments uh, in the back of their minds because they are just going to keep trickling out and all of a sudden by the time we reach the G20 in Brisbane in November, you know, we're going to be staring at a very, very different uh, climate in here in Queensland, that's for sure. Absolutely right. And as I say, we'll be keeping our eye not only on that, but of course, all of the various protest movements across the region. So let's move on to the next story. Sure, James. Well, along with the protests that are going along around the Asia-Pacific, of course, something you and I have talked about quite a bit on Asia-Pacific perspective is the regional military build-up. Um, it's happening all over the place. Uh, we'll take this first story from philstar.com. The headline reads, Ban on foreign military bases not absolute. The constitutional provision banning foreign military bases and troops in the Philippines is not absolute, even as the, even as the Philippines and, and the US are close to forging a new security agreement to increase the presence of American forces in the country. Uh, Rodolfo Biazon, a former armed forces chief, reiterated the need to determine any constitutional role that may be played by Congress in implementing or sanctioning the proposal to allow American soldiers to increase their rotational presence and use, use of military bases in the country. Article 18, Section 25 of the 1987 Constitution states that foreign military bases, troops or facilities shall not be allowed in the Philippines except under a treaty duly concurred in by the Senate and when the Congress so requires. Ratified by a majority of a majority of the votes cast by the people in a national referendum held for that purpose, and also being recognised as a treaty by the other contracting state. Uh, once again, moving back to your home, uh, your in your backyard. Sorry, James. We take this next story from DefenseNews.com. Japan draws up overhaul of arms export ban. Quote, Japan's ruling Liberal Democratic Party has drawn up plans to overhaul the pacifist country's self-imposed ban on arm exports. The government of Prime Minister Shinzo Abe has delivered the blueprint to lawmakers in his party and coalition partner, New uh, Komiyutu, according to an LDP official, with the Premier looking for a green light from Cabinet by the end of this month. The relaxed rules could allow Tokyo to supply weaponry to nations that sit along important sea lanes to help them fight piracy and also help resource-poor Japan, which depends solely on mineral imports. Japan's arms could potentially be shipped to Indonesia as well as other nations around the South China Sea, through which fossil fuels passed, such as the Philippines, for example, which has an ongoing territorial dispute with Beijing. And for our third and final story in this segment, James, China announces military spending increase, this one coming out of Al Jazeera. Quote, China has announced its biggest rise in military spending in three years, a strong signal from President Xi Jinping that Beijing is not about to back away from its growing assertiveness in Asia, especially in disputed borders. The government said on Wednesday it would increase the defence budget by 12.2% this year to 808.23 billion yuan, which is roughly about 131 billion US dollars. 
partly to develop more high-tech weapons and to beef up, beef up coastal air defences. So, James, another month and, con and continued increase of a military, U.S. military presence and uh, tension and also tension-raising military drills that we've seen on the uh, South Korean peninsula. Uh, also, potentially dangerous constitutional and defence policy reforms in Japan and also military spending increases on all sides, not just China. So, all signs point to uh, precarious times ahead, if you ask me. So, feel free to speak on any of any or all of these, James. But also, just quickly turning here back, back here to Australia, uh, the Abbott government also recently announced that they're planning on buying a new fleet of US Triton surveillance drones to secure resources in the Indian Ocean. So there's nothing that should be too shocking or surprising to those who have been following the developments here in the Asia-Pacific, but still important for us to bring it to uh, people's attention. It certainly is, and it is important to keep this in front of people's attention as we, uh, of course, get not distracted, but of course our attention turns to what's happening in Ukraine and uh, there in Eastern Europe, obviously the geopolitical hotspot of the moment. It's important to keep in mind that the Asia-Pacific pivot is proceeding apace and that it is not just a U.S.-driven uh, uh, policy, that all of the players in the region are, of course, participating in this and uh, China doing its part as well with the increasing its uh, defense budget. Um, there has been some talk in uh, uh, recent uh, weeks about whether or not the Asia-Pacific pivot is in jeopardy because of the defense uh, budget cuts that are uh, that are ongoing in the United States right now. But uh, there's uh, uh, something from the Register Citizen that I'll, I'll post in the show notes uh, here, just basically saying that uh, the United States is promising to maintain its military, sorry, strengthen its military presence in the AP region, and that the uh, cuts will not be significantly affecting the um, the Pacific fleet. So again. Everything is continuing to build up here, perhaps quietly um, at this point. A lot of the, as I say, a lot of the attention has turned to Eastern Europe, but it is still going on here and still something that we need to be concerned about as this continues to be a potential flashpoint for um, future conflicts. And I still think that uh, some of the, the marine and naval incidents here could be the, that spark for a conflict um, that, that might come out of left field at some point in the, in the near future or at least in the future. Exactly right. I mean, and just speaking of that point you just made there, we also saw recently North Korea uh, lobbing missiles as they do from time to time into the Sea of Japan, and it was claimed that uh, these missiles came somewhat close to a Chinese passenger jet. So, I mean, it's those type of little, of those serious incidents, I should say, that, you know, I, I could really be the uh, spark for the, uh, for the powder keg that's going on here right now. James, moving on to our third and final story today, we are going to cover, um, sorry, although it it very quickly dropped out of the 24-7 news cycle. Uh, earlier this month, there was a pretty horrific knife attack in, uh, Kun in a Kunming train station, which left uh, 33 people dead, including the, uh, uh, some of the attackers. Um, since then, the Chinese government and media have pinned the attacks on the uh, East Turkestan Islamic movement. And as this article from ChinaDigitalTimes.net spells out uh, in more detail, after the deadly Kunming train station attack on March 1, it highlighted growing tensions between the predominantly Muslim Uyghur ethnic group and China's majority Han ethnicity. A leader of the militant separatist uh, Turkestan Islamic Party has promised more attacks on China. According to Reuters, Pakistani security sources, hundreds of Uyghurs moved to the unruly northern Waziristan region of the Afghan-Pakistan border after China cracked down in Xinjiang following the 2009 riots in uh, Budamiki. China Pakistan's closest military, a military, economic and strategic ally has been putting increased military pressure on the Islamic Republic to root out Uyghur separatists and their numbers in the region are now believed to be much smaller. The Reuters report linked, ab linked above continues to quote the head of the Pakistani 
FATA Research Centre, who says that China is exaggerating the power of the group. Quote, it's, just, it's survival basically, they can't go back, this is the only place where they're welcome. The Turkestan Islamic Party, still commonly referred to as the East Turkestan Islamic Movement, took credit for the numerous attacks in China in 2008, though the intelligence organisations have said that their claims of responsibility appear exaggerated. After the October 2013 Tiananmen Jeep crash, Abdullah Mansour made a public statement labelling the crash a jihadi operation, while Beijing blamed the March 1 attack on the Kunming train station on Xinjiang separatist forces. However, Mansour did not claim responsibility for the violence in his brief interview uh, with Reuters. James, I know yourself and Sabelle Edmonds of BallingFrogsPost.com covered this uh, in the Gladio B series, but for those like me who need a bit of a uh, mental refresher, give us your thoughts on the significance of uh, not only this attack in Kunming, but also China's response, but also more importantly the wider geopolitical narrative that has been underlying the events in Western China for years now. Well, I hope people will follow the links um, to that article that you're reading from as well to the Reuters article that they're citing from, because I think that gives a pretty clear stance of what exactly this is all about. And in fact, it uh, it reads exactly like the type of propaganda that we saw about Al-Qaeda in the run-up to 9-11, including this shadowy uh, rebel leader, Abdullah Mansour, who's hiding in some shadowy cave somewhere, issuing these pronouncements and doing interviews and uh, issuing videos that are only being monitored by sight, which again... Uh, for people who know the Al-Qaeda story, is, is an interesting parallel. I mean, it's it's almost exactly parallel. So we have this new Osama bin Laden figure, this Abdullah Mansur, who's doing the same thing to China that uh, he was threatening all, uh, that Osama was threatening all along with uh, the United States. And it is uh, interesting to look at that parallel, especially in light of that information, as you say, that Sibel Edmonds brought up in the Gladio B series, which again is probably one of the most important reports that I've ever issued. So I hope people will uh, go back and refresh their memory on that. But basically, yes, the Turkestan independence uh, movement has uh, even has its supposed self-proclaimed uh, president leader in uh, exile in Washington. Um, and is, as according to Sabel, is part of the Gladio B operation to support uh, the Islamic terror on the doorstep of China and Russia. And there it is uh, in Xinjiang. And uh, presumably um, they may have been involved in this Kunming uh, knife attack um, there. Again, I don't think there's been any specific proof of this yet or that's been specifically presented other than some literal flags that I believe were found at the scene of the, the crime. So uh, maybe a literal false flag, maybe a real flag. I don't know at this point, but at any rate, it is an interesting story. And I think that this will play more and more into certainly what's happening in China and their response. And it, at any rate, even if this is an attack on them, it does give them the excuse to build up their own security state in in response to the uh, supposed terror threat in the exact same way that the U.S. has used uh, 9-11 and Al-Qaeda, the Al-Qaeda threat, boogeyman threat, to build up their own security state. So uh, ultimately, who wins in this uh, the, these games is uh, it's the centralized power and authority always takes out more centralized power and authority in response to the, these threats. So it's uh, it's an interesting thing to uh, phenomenon to be watching and uh, uh, I hope people are keeping their eye on places like Global Times and other Chinese government mouthpieces for sort of the latest propaganda about what's really going on there. Exactly right. And also just on a completely uh, related note, I also saw recently, I think it was from Al Jazeera, but don't don't quote me on that. Also, the but the, uh, the Pakistani ISI has come out saying with uh, numerous officials knew of Osama bin Laden's whereabouts for years before anything like that. And of course... I hope everyone's got their critical thinking caps on, but of course we all know who the ISI are, majority, who are... Who, who the ISI funded by, which of course are the CIA and the uh, US military industrial apparatus. So 
always important to have your critical thinking caps on when any kind of these events take place. Um, so, yeah, James, it's been uh, three important uh, stories as always. So, as always, people can keep up to date with AP Perspective via RSS feed, via my Twitter account, which is at Brock West, and also via the AP Perspective Twitter account, which is at AP underscore perspective. Excellent stuff. Looking forward to next month. Thank you again, Brock. Thanks, mate. See you then.